Hey, good morning, FBCO. Pastor Doug here. I'll be back uh, preaching in two weeks and can't wait to be back with you. But this morning, preaching for us is one of our own, Pastor uh, Mark Jones, who's been with us for um, almost 10 years now. Mark is our minister of worship, but he also loves the word and he uh, loves you and he's going to preach from God's word today. And I am delighted that we get to serve together with Mark and get to hear him as he brings God's word to us. And so you join me in welcoming today, Mark Jones. Well, as Pastor Doug shared, um, I'm actually in my 10th year, if you can believe that, serving as the worship pastor here. And let me say this, church family, we have got amazing people that just have a heart for God. They have a heart for you, these volunteers who serve week in, week out with this in mind. Their desire is to literally provide a, a worship environment where we will have a meaningful encounter with God. And what a delight to serve with that type of committed people. Well, today is actually a very special day for me. You see, 13 years ago, my wife and I were on a Florida vacation when during a morning devotional time, God placed a very special thought in my mind that would launch me during, a, you could say, a prayer journey as well as an intense biblical search experience. And through that, you could say there's been a culmination of my first book. I wish it was done today. It's 98% done. But the title of the book is this, Unleashing God's Power discovering the priority of the Lord's Prayer. But before I get into the message, I want to share one thing about my background to kind of give you perspective on how I, like, literally have had prayer kind of sewn into my DNA. My sister and I, we are PKs, preacher kids. And this is two of the things that we observed that just powerfully affected us. Every night, our mom and dad would come together and they would pray for us and Anyone that was on their prayer list, sometimes that was incredibly long. But the other thing that we saw was our dad serving as a pastor. Whenever there was a problem, a challenge, a situation, something that needed help, our dad went to God in prayer. He taught us that God needs to be the first person of resource that we go to whenever we face a situation. So you could say that prayer became literally a way of life because we saw answer after answer come to those prayers. We just, it was instilled in us, prayer works, you need to do it. So coming back to that Florida vacation, as I was, as I was praying uh, in my morning devotional, I felt like the Lord nudged me, read the Lord's Prayer. So if you're anything like me, I jump right to verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. So in Matthew chapter 9, verses 13, uh, chapter 6, 9 through 13, is where we have the Lord's Prayer and then that day I kind of felt the desire, hey, splurge, read verses 14 and 15. I call these bonus verses about forgiveness and unforgiveness. So if you will, I'd like all of us to read aloud this very famous section of Scripture. So please join me. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So when I finished reading that prayer, or the Lord's Prayer, I was kind of like, okay, God, in my, in my prayer, I was asking the question, God, why was it that you wanted me to like read that, that prayer, this section of Scripture? And in that moment, this thought, and I've only experienced this just a few times in my life, it was so powerfully clear and loud almost, it seemed like an audible voice. But the thought was this, Mark, reread it again, but this time, back up one verse. I thought, that's odd, back up one verse. So I immediately go to Matthew 6, verse 8, and see if anything stands out to you. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let me reread it again, but this time with an emphasis on six words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And as those like six words, it's almost as if they were highlighted with the brightest highlighter ever used. They just jumped off the page. Your Father knows what you need. And then that last word, need, as I started to think about that, immediately what was brought to mind was our primal basic needs of air, water, and food. Now, those of you who know me, I love sci-fi, I love action movies, and God has a way of communicating to us in the way that connects. And so in my mind, all of a sudden I was in this imaginative scene where I'm in this room, it's sealed up, there's no way to get out. All of a sudden, kind of like in Indiana Jones fashion, all this water starts gushing in. Well, when I get to that final moment where I take that last breath of air, I had better discover more air, or in a minute or two, in my case, maybe less, death will be. Well, water, we can last a couple days. Food, we can last a couple months. And as I was praying about that, my thoughts kind of were along the lines of, God, are you actually trying to say that the phrases of the Lord's Prayer are like this important, that they're this Uh, this need in my life, a critical need. And then that got me to thinking, what was the Greek word that Matthew used that we translate need? So if you check it out, the Greek word is actually the Greek word krea, that which is absolutely necessary for life. Absolutely necessary for life. And you could say that all of a sudden, like everything clicked, it came into focus, that Matthew 6, 8 is actually this critical lens, and in your first point, that your Father knows what you need. This is the lens by which we need to hover over the phrases of the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer is far more than a resuscitative type prayer. It's actually a categorical listings of our needs, our absolutely necessary for life needs. So with that lens, then taking it, that's what started this journey, was to then take a look at every single phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Now today, because of time, we'll take a look at three of those phrases, and then we'll glance at the others. So let's take a look at the first opening line of the prayer, which is this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So this opening line of the Lord's Prayer is actually a line of praise. But now again, we have to hold up the lens. Your father knows what you need. So as a worship pastor, worship leader, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, God, I get the fact that 
praise and worship is like a twofold blessing. How we through our praise bless you and then you bless us back. But help me to understand how is this actually this critical need. And something for you to think about, and that is, as we journey through life, we're going to have questions. Questions about our faith. Questions about something that we read in the scripture. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 through 12. He says that we've not received the spirit of the world, but we've actually received the spirit from God. And one of the things that God's Holy Spirit does for us, he searches all things, including the depths of God, in order that we might freely know the things given to us. So as I started to prayerfully ask God, help me to understand how is the opening line of praise this absolutely necessary for life need? And I was led to three verses, all attributed to Moses. But what I find compelling and interesting about Moses is this. He is unique in the fact that he had a direct God encounter. Scripture also records that he had many conversations with the Lord or with the angel of the Lord. So listen to what this very unique man has to say about praise. Psalm 95 verse 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. And then finally the famous Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Moses tells us the way we need to first come into God's presence is through praise. Let me ask you this. How do you view the priority of praise? Maybe to help give us a little bit more of a push in how we need to view, King David would share this in Psalms 22 verse 26. He says, they who seek the Lord will praise him. They who seek the Lord will praise him. So my second point, our entry point for seeking the Lord is through praise. If we want to have that entrance, our entry point for seeking the Lord, it's through praise. Now, the Lord kind of prompted me to think in terms of, because I've had the privilege of actually traveling to 11 different countries through a Christian musical missions trip. I've been to every state but Alaska. And so, as I've, you could say, I've had a, a wide selection and the opportunity to see quite a number of churches of all denominations but what is the universal thing that we seem to all have in common at the start of our service? It's a time of praise. It's almost as if instinctively it's been sewn into the fabric of who we are. But actually, I believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit who always bases his directives on God's word. And so then as I started to think about that, that priority... I think God was trying to help me to elevate exactly how important this needs to be. And I was kind of taken back to my collegiate days with that idea of electives. You know, electives are something that we can choose to take or ignore and choose something else. So with praise, am I choosing to show up on time or is it not a big deal? But is God's word actually beckoning us that praise is actually, according to God's word, a prerequisite? It's a requirement that on God's terms, in God's word, the way you and I first come into God's presence is through praise. 
But then even something more weighs in the balance. It's actually the means by which you and I are going to seek after God, that we will discover more about who he is and more of what he wants to do inside of us. So how do we view the opening time of praise? May God's Spirit speak in our hearts. Maybe there needs to be a course correction. Church, family, let's do it God's way. Let's pursue him by praising him. Well, the next phrase is we're just going to glance at. The next phrase we get to is three words, your kingdom come. This is a reference of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus actually speaks quite a bit about this to his disciples. But suffice it to say this, we would be wise to pray for God's kingdom to come into our lives. And then we have the next phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this actually, I delve and explore this in chapter 3. This phrase actually deals with, in my opinion, the most, one of the more challenging things conceptually to process through. This is where we explore God's sovereignty, God's will, man's free will, and then I explore this misconception within Christian thinking about how all three of these things interrelate. Matter of fact, for any of you uh, YAs that are here, this coming Thursday night, I've got the privilege to speak to you guys, and this is the subject that we're going to cover. So if you're interested in hearing more about this, they always post their message uh, Monday about 7 o'clock or later. So eight days from now, if you're interested in hearing more about God's sovereignty, God's will, free will, how this all interacts, please check that out. So the next phrase to actually look at is, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now again... We have to hold the lens. Your father knows what you need over this. But here's almost the perplexing part. In the same chapter, verses 25 through 31, Jesus seems to say something very contradictory. Here he's telling them, hey, you got a need to pray for your daily needs, to come before God and pray this. But then in verses 25 through 31, he says this. He gets after the people of Israel. You're too worried about these things. And then he uses a comparison. He says, hey, do the birds of the field worry about what they're going to eat? No, your heavenly Father provides. Do the lilies worry about what they're wearing? No, God the Father provides. So what in the world is going on? And maybe to heighten the perplexity, Jesus then in Matthew 6, verse 32, says almost a carbon copy repeat of Matthew 6, 8, the critical lens verse. Listen to what he says. For the Gentiles, Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your Father knows that you need all these things. Now, Jesus is not trying to bring confusion, but he is saying this. God is not insensitive about our daily needs. He completely understands that we've got basic needs that require being fulfilled. And God wants us to come to him in prayer to bring those needs. But there's something more that Jesus was trying to communicate. My next point. Praying over our needs produces dependency upon him. That when we pray over our daily needs, a byproduct is that dependency on him is formed within us. And then Jesus gives us the key reason in the very next verse about the focus, where our mindset needs to be. And it's this, the famous Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, food, drink, clothing, and so much more, will be added to you. In other words, 
Jesus used these daily reminders to serve us to recognize there's actually an even greater priority that we need met in our lives, and it's the Lord, His kingdom, and His righteousness. This is our truest, greatest need. We need to develop our walk with Him. But here's the problem. Because of our sinful nature, we drift. We naturally move away from the things of God. We want to do it our way. We're stubborn, hard-headed. But God doesn't use something complicated to help us. He actually uses something incredibly simple. He uses our daily needs so that as we come before him and we get behind the center of his lead, as we go to God, our first person of resource, and as we see these daily needs met, our dependency is not only cultivated, it grows stronger and we trust and have belief for even more. But here's something additional that in those specific words that I believe the Lord's trying to communicate when he says, give us this day our daily bread. All the days of our lives, we have a need with respect to our prayer life for it to be a daily, ongoing, continual discipline. Why? We have no idea on any given moment of any given day what's going to intersect and cross our paths And God does not want his children to be unequipped. He wants us to be fully supplied. And that happens as you and I pray about our daily needs. And we see his power come in response. This is what God does for us. I want to share one additional thing, which is kind of interesting. The very last word I just shared right there, it's kind of ringing out in my mind. Have you had those moments where you've read a section of Scripture maybe a dozen, 50 or more times, and then all of a sudden, one word just pops off the page? That actually, for me, just in the last couple months, here I've been studying (laughs) this simple little paragraph for 13 years, and just in the last two months, just fresh new insight came, and that's the pronoun us. Why us? Why not me? Like, God give me my daily bread, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Because we know that Scripture teaches us that how does a person make their decision to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord? It's an individual decision. But yet here he switches to this us mindset. Well, why? So as I was praying about that, I felt like God helped me look back over sections of my life. And what he was showing me was During extreme times of duress, challenges, I stopped praying. Now think about that. I was raised in an environment where prayer was cultivated as a way of life. It was like breathing air. But yet I had to realize this, that there were moments, like if someone experiences unwanted medical news, the loss of a job you thought was absolutely secure, or some other devastating type event that just cuts you to the core, how does one respond? And I realized this is why Jesus taught the us pronoun instead of I or me. In those moments, those spots of my life where I stopped praying, I had to recognize the power of God stopped flowing to me because God's power comes in response to my prayers. So when I stopped praying, the power of God was not flowing to me. But here's the beauty 
of the us pronoun and also one more reason why the body of Christ is so beautiful, powerful, and compelling to be a part of instead of a lone maverick approach. That's because in those seasons where I stopped praying, God had other people praying for me. And the result, the power of God was uninterrupted. The power of God did not stop. It kept coming to me. This is why God says that we have a critical need to pray with the us pronoun, is that God wants our prayer lives to overlap one another so that when one person stops praying, others are praying so that the power of God continues to flow through, so that we are never not supplied, but we always have that supply. So who in your circle of influence does God primarily want you to pray for? I think it's your family, closest friends, your life group members, and then any other person that God kind of drops on your radar, pray for that person because you have no idea who or what they're going through and how critical the power of God needs to come to them and your prayer is what brings that to them. Well, now we come to an interesting phrase of the Lord's Prayer, which has two parts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this first part, forgive us our debts, Praise God, we have a pastor who is committed to the word, and through the years, he has well communicated the challenge, the problem that mankind has. Mankind has a sinful nature. God, meanwhile, has a holy nature. There is no sin within him. And these two natures could not be more polar opposite, and there's literally no intermingling of the two. So there is this literally unbridgeable gap between us and God the Father. So talk about an extreme spiritual need. So what's the solution? What Jesus did on the cross where he then bridged that gap. And scripture teaches us that the way to God the Father is only through Jesus Christ the Son. That when you and I admit that we are a sinner. That when we believe that Jesus is God's Son. That God raised him from the dead. And we confess him as Savior and Lord. And then commit living our lives his way. This is how a person gets saved. But our pastor, pastor has also warned us of this. No human being can somehow, through their own efforts, earn their way into heaven. And this is where we come to the very special word, grace. And you've heard the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so I want to share with you those last two words and how God's been kind of showing me something that's been really helpful, kind of sobering to me, and that's the Christ's expense. And in my point four, it's this. The cost of the cross to Jesus personally. What exactly was the cost of the cross to Jesus personally? Well, to help us gain perspective in this line of thinking, my mind was taken to John chapter 1, the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. God the Father and Jesus the Son, these two eternal beings were inseparably linked from the very beginning of time. And I'm of this persuasion. I don't believe this side of heaven, you or I, are ever going to fully fathom or understand what exactly was the degree of that intimate union, the closeness, the fellowship, the intimacy that they experienced until that one day when Jesus was placed on the cross and he was hanging there and then 
my sin was placed on him. Your sin was placed on him. The sin of all mankind was placed on him. And in that horrific moment where all of a sudden the eternal connection was severed and Scripture records that God withdraws his presence and in that painful, anguishing moment, Jesus cries out the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe to help give a little bit more insight and understanding, just a couple days earlier in the event that Scripture calls the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus in that prayer time He was in such agony as he was travailing in prayer. There was such this internal dynamics, the tension was so great that sweat became like drops of blood. I believe it's because as he was looking somehow into the future, this unwanted, unimaginable moment when that eternal fellowship would be severed. And this is why he said, my God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. And he did that because of his great love for us. God did not want us, his children, to stay eternally separated. So Jesus was able to do what only he could do. He paid that price. Now, why is this an important part to help us spiritually? If I truly consider the cost of the cross to Jesus personally, I believe that's going to motivate and inspire us to want to shun sin. That there's going to be a desire to want to live in a godly way. That it'll inspire us to study scripture. And as we start to study scripture, God's Holy Spirit brings that which is written alive in our hearts. And we become that which we are reading. Like Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will, to obey, and to work, to serve for his good pleasure. We start to discover so many amazing things that impact our lives. Let us have the perspective of what it cost, the cost of the cross personally to Jesus to inspire us to want to live in a godly way. Well, we come to the second phrase, as we forgive our debtors. Now, I mentioned earlier that, that the subject theme about God's sovereignty and God's will, that's contained in chapter 3. And that's the hardest chapter to process through. But this phrase, as we forgive our debtors, I'm convinced this is the hardest one to actually live out, especially in this situation. How does one forgive the unforgivable? How do you deal with when you have been hurt to the core of your being, how do you let that go? And one of the things I'm grateful for is my dad showed me a lot of different books and things. And one of the books that's really had, um, and man, I got emotional in the first service, and I hope I can hold it together, is it's actually the book called The Hidden Room. And this is the life story about Corey Ten Boom. Now, you see, Corey lived during the days of World War II, and she lived in Holland. And so when Nazi Germany started to come in to occupy Holland, Casper, which was um, Corey's father, godly man, he was like, Corey, Ten Boom family, we are not idly going to stand by. Because what Casper witnessed was anyone of Jewish descent, they started being rounded up, beaten, persecuted, killed. And so Casper and the Ten Boom family became a part of the underground resistance. Matter of fact, a tribute to them is literally helping 800-some Jewish people successfully get out of Holland until 
One day there was a man by the name of Jan Vogel who was a Nazi um, informant. And he came up to Corey and says, Corey, uh, my wife, she's been, she's been imprisoned by the Nazis. Could you please give me some money so I can get her out and then get her out of Holland? But Corey said there was something shifty about how his eyes kind of went back and forth. And something seemed to be off. However, she did not want to make the mistake of not offering help to someone in need. So she agreed to bring the money. And at the appointed time, it wasn't Jan who showed up. It was the Nazis. Now to help give you a perspective of that building, that structure, actually the Ten Boom residence has a place of business on the first floor. I think today it's a jewelry shop. But back in the day, um, Casper, who was a watchmaker and a repairer of clocks, that's what you exclusively found there. And on that day, and then the residents are on the second and third floor, and on that day, when the Nazis came in, they hauled off some 30 individuals, customers and the family, and they hauled them off. Now, Casper, Corey, and Betsy would all be prosecuted and sent to jail and then concentration camps. The interesting thing about the irony of that day, six Jewish people were upstairs in Corey's bedroom. Because in Corey's bedroom, in the closet, they built this false wall and this compartment that could actually contain up to six Jews. And, those, and the Ten Boom family also had the foresight. They rigged a buzzer warning system that if that buzzer um, went off, immediately, without question, delay, hit the hidden room, seal up the entrance. And they did just that. Later, when Corey and her sister were in jail, at some point, they received the note... All six watches are safe. They safely got them all out. But the price and the cost to the Ten Boom family would be dear. You see, in just 10 days of Casper being in prison, he was elderly at this time, he succumbed to some disease and he died. Corey and Betsy were transferred three different times where they finally eventually landed at the horrific concentration camp Ravensbrück. Some 130,000 women were incarcerated in this place during World War II. 50,000 of these women lost their lives through starvation disease and the gas chambers. Just a couple days after Betsy died from disease, Corey was actually released. She would later discover that actually her release was a clerical error. Never should have happened. And then about a week to 12 days after her release... All the women in her age category were sent to the gas chambers and were killed. If ever there was a person, a woman, that could have rightfully been angry and hatred consuming her heart, unforgiveness and resentment abounding in her mind and thoughts, it was Corey. But God spoke two powerful things into her life. He said, Corey, and this is now after World War II had ended, he said, Corey, I want you to form and build this recovery home with this purpose. I want you to help all of those victims of Nazi brutality and help them on the road to recovery. But Corey, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to go back to Germany and I want you to speak to this worn, torn people about my love, my grace, and my forgiveness. She said at the end of one of her talks, this German gentleman walked up to her and he said something like, Fräulein, it is, it is so good to hear as you say that our sins are cast into the depths of the ocean, never to surface again. I was a guard at Ravensbrück, but 
I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me before I land. It would be so good to hear from your lips. Will you please forgive me? She said that when that former guard reached out his hand, he represented why she no longer had a dad. He represented why her sister and best friend Betsy didn't, wasn't alive and why she had experienced all this physical brutality. And this man wanted her to forgive him. And she said that as she was wrestling with those thoughts, that the thought came, Corey, forgive. Just as you have been forgiven, forgive this man. She said she knew what she needed to do. So she prayed. Her prayer was this. God, I can feebly raise my hand, but you supply the feeling. She said that when she touched and their skin touched their hands together, that this surge of like the power of God's love from her shoulder, shooting down through her arm, hitting the outstretched hand of that former prison guard, and she started to shake that hand. And as she did so, all of a sudden she found herself saying, Oh, brother, I do forgive you with all my heart. Only God can empower someone to forgive the unforgivable. And you see, God knows that there is no way that this is something that we can do. We need God's divine forgiveness that flows to us in response to our prayers through the Holy Spirit who's in us to actually empower this to happen. But here's a critical reason why the power of forgiveness needs to happen. And this is where I make the comparison. The power of forgiveness versus the poison of unforgiveness. Back to the recovery home. Corey said this, that in the, in the months and years following in, uh, the people who came to the recovery home, she said that those who were actually able to forgive their Nazi German captors, no matter what physical scars or abuse they might have experienced still to that day, they were able to successfully move on with their lives. But those who nursed their bitterness, they held on to unforgiveness, remained as invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. God does not want us, his children, to experience some horrible event and then the poison of unforgiveness takes us down a very unwanted journey experiencing consequences that we don't want to experience. But only the power of God and his divine forgiveness through prayer comes to expunge and deliver us of that hatred because our natural sinful nature response is we want revenge. We want to make things right. But God is saying let go and let his forgiveness come in. And that can happen. We can see the, the unforgivable be forgiven in our lives if we simply cover it in prayer. By the way, I would encourage you to read that book, The Hidden Room. I had the privilege of touring through that facility, and I still can remember all the different things. And that story just comes alive of what that family went through. The next two phrases of the Lord's Prayer that we end with, and we're just going to glance at that, are this. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations render just evil. 
But in looking at the Greek construct, I'm of the persuasion it should better be rendered the evil one. You see, Satan, the eternal enemy of the kingdom of God, along with his army, they've got a threefold purpose to steal, kill, and destroy. But God who is for us is far greater than the little he that's out there, though he makes a lot of noise and a lot of distraction and disruption. But this, that we explore that subject um, about what all God gives to us. And then finally the phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. What I kind of find interesting about the Lord's Prayer is the symmetry of it. Like we, we start with a line of praise and then we end with a line of praise, specifically praising God for his kingdom, his power and his glory. And there's quite an exploration of what those three things can mean. But to put it this way, if we remember and reflect about those three things, so that as we end our time of praise, and as we head off into life, and we remember and we f- reflect about who God is, what he has done for us, that equipping of the right mindset is going to be extremely helpful to us, that no matter what we face in life, no matter the challenge, no matter the difficulty, no matter the trial, we have the mindset, God, I can't wait to see how you're going to resolve this one. And we are on the winning side. We just need to prayerfully cover all of our needs with an us mindset so that the power of God comes in response and we will see testimony after testimony to his name's glory's sake. So in concluding this message, as I was praying, one word came to mind, and that's the word habit. Behavioral experts say that it takes 30 days to establish a new habit or pattern of behavior. And I talked to Pastor Doug about this, and he gave permission to do exactly what I'm going to say in this exact manner. And that is on Facebook. I actually have a Facebook page, and it's called Fire Up Your Faith. Fire Up Your Faith, and it's in your sermon notes. And starting tomorrow morning and for the next 30 days, I'm putting out there what I've constructed, which is called a 30-day challenge to power up your prayer life. These devotionals are meant to be about a seven to eight minute kind of an experience. But then after you do that, and it's either going to help jumpstart or maybe power up your prayer life. But after you go through that little seven or eight minute thing, I would encourage you just pray through the Lord's Prayer. Maybe just verbatim. In the next day or so or week, I think God will all of a sudden prompt you, you know, on this category heading, linger a little bit pray a little bit more, and actually pray not just for yourself, but so-and-so and so-and-so. And And then a day or a week later, God then says, you know, let's actually cover these two phrases. And before you know it, you will be praying the phrases of the Lord's Prayer. And as that happens, as we unleash God's power, because we are discovering the priority and we are putting it into practice, the needs, the essential needs of the Lord's Prayer, we will see what God can do through us. Church, what weighs in the balance this fall if we truly start to prayerfully cover all our needs and we see God's protection and his provision come in response and we truly have life and life in the abundance as Jesus says he wants to give to us, what kind of ministry could take place as we think of impacting our community, our country, and beyond? Because as we look around, our country is most definitely in need of the power of God to come and impact our land. We just need to simply pray according to God's way in his word.
Would you pray with me? Father God, may the power of your Holy Spirit take this word that is spoken. And God, you know what needs to be helpfully implemented into our lives. God, I pray that we would not just be a hearer of the word, but we would be a doer of the word. That God, we would take seriously the priority of these phrases of the Lord's Prayer, recognizing Oh my goodness, God, these are absolutely necessary for life, needs that we have, and you've lovingly pointed them out to us so that we can ask for your power, your resources to cover all of those needs to the praise of your name. God, may we not be guilty because we have not, because we ask not. God, instead, may we truly be a person of prayer prompted by the power of your Holy Spirit who lives within us so that the very best of the life that you want us to experience would take place to the praise of your name. Amen.